It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And now for something completely different. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Gig Cocky Podcast, part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I am your host, Pearson Fowler, and we've got a great pod for y'all today. Fittingly, after an exciting weekend of Carolina football, getting their first win of the season, 72-10 to over Charleston Southern. So I'm really looking forward to heading back into a much happier student section this week. And I'm really excited to debut a new segment with Will Helms, who if you don't already follow him on Twitter and read his stuff on Gamecock Central, you absolutely should be doing that. We're going to do a little number crunch for Saturday's game, and fortunately, there were a lot of numbers to crunch. So uh, we'll have that for you, as well as the best of social media from the weekend. Uh, lots to get to today. And uh, as we jump in real quick, I want to remind you to rate, review, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends. That's a great way to help support the podcast. All right. So Carolina, as I mentioned, just scored the most points they've scored under Will Muschamp, racked up the most yards in a single game in school history, 775, and honestly, I think it's fair to say, exercised a lot of the demons from the season opener. Obviously, that still looms large in the grand scheme of the season, and by no means have Carolina fans forgotten it or have done a complete 180 on Will Muschamp or this team, but it was a good bounce back. It was exactly what they needed to do. Yes, they should have bounced back, and yes, they should have punted Charleston Southern into the stratosphere because they're a garbage FCS team, not even a regular FCS team. Um, But the humbling reality is that South Carolina doesn't really do that even when they should. Uh, Only one time in the last 10 years before Saturday has Carolina really just put on the ass whooping, even against a team as bad, as inferior as Charleston Southern. All right, so here's the list. This is FCS or newly FBS teams that South Carolina has played since 2010 and the results from each of those games. 2018. Coastal, who I'm including in this because they were only in their second year of playing FBS football, that was 49 to 15. In Chattanooga, that was 49 to 9. In 2017, they beat Wofford 31 to 10. In 2016, they beat Western Carolina 44 to 31. In 2015, they beat they lost to the Citadel. Whoops, they lost to the Citadel 22 to 23. In 2014, they beat Furman 41 to 10 and South Alabama 37 to 12. In 2013. Coastal, they beat 70-10. to 10. That's basically the outlier here, along with the Charleston Southern game from this past weekend. 2012, Wofford was 24-7. to 7. 2011, the Citadel was 41-20. to 20. And in 2010, Furman was 38-19. to 19. Um, And in that span, they also massacred an 8-5 and five Troy team by 45. That was also in 2010. And there was a big win in Kentucky there and a UAB win by 46. But uh, there was just one game, as I mentioned, before Saturday, that they won by at least 50 points. And that's the 2013 Coastal game that they won. 70 to 10. So again, while they should have done that, and I know that they should have done that, they actually did it. And that's where this team needs to be. They need to get back to doing things that they should do before anyone starts asking questions about what they could do. And I'm also not saying that I necessarily believe that this team win means much in terms of football. Again, this sort of feels like a little bit more of a psychological win than anything. Um, But just taking the temperature of the fans around town on Twitter, callers on the radio, etc. It seems like this sort of uncharacteristic taking care of business Saturday, coupled with what was a very auspicious start to the Ryan Helensky era, has people back to thinking that this is more of a 6-7 win kind of team than the 2-3 or three win team that people thought Carolina was going to be this time last week. And that's absolutely what the best case scenario was going into this weekend. I said on the podcast Friday that the biggest thing at stake 
was the psyche of the fan base. And I think now we're going to see a Williams-Brice Stadium that's a lot more full this weekend for Alabama uh, than if Saturday's game had been 41-10 to and Helensky had just kind of looked like a freshman. And with that being said, Helensky did look good in his debut. He delivers the ball quickly and confidently, which is what we heard he was going to do. Uh, but I think most importantly, Carolina's receivers looked energized catching the ball from him. I mean, I mean, did you see the Brian Edwards that was celebrating after he caught that long touchdown pass? I didn't see that Brian Edwards in week one. That looked like a different player. That looked like Brian Edwards from two years ago. He jumps into the end zone and flicks the ball, you know, a la DJ Swearinger just throwing the ball into the stands. He was just overjoyed. And at that point, I mean, this game was, you know, it wasn't ever in the in the balance, but at that point, I mean, Carolina was already starting to really pile it on, so it's not even like it was an important touchdown, but he was overjoyed. And this part of the Helensky effect can't be overstated. Um, but just in terms of football, I don't think there should be any illusion about what Saturday holds for Carolina. I'm going to save most of my Bama thoughts for Friday's episode, but I did want to say in anticipation of this coming weekend, who Ryan Helensky ends up being will be somewhere between what we saw last Saturday against Charleston Southern and what he's going to do this Saturday. He looked good most of the game last Saturday, but he also threw the terrible interception the one time in the game that he was under pressure. Um, But, you know, he's a freshman. He'll make some of those mistakes, but also, you know, he's a freshman. So he'll learn from those mistakes. So we don't need to overreact to this past weekend or this coming weekend, uh, but I think we can all just sort of collectively be encouraged by, again, what was sort of psychologically, I think, a boon for this Carolina fan base. And with Holinsky specifically, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, But just like the rest of the team, it's a game where he should have played well, and he did. And that's a good thing. Coming up, really excited to dig into the numbers with Will Helms, so let's get right into it. All right, really excited now to be joined by Will Helms. Check out all of his great stuff on Gamecock Central. He's the one that's responsible for passing around all those great pro football focus numbers after Gamecock games that you see circulating on Twitter. Uh, also follow Will on Twitter at WHelms21 because he's got a, a whole bunch of nuggets, things that don't necessarily make it into his stories on Gamecock Central. But uh, this is the first episode of a recurring segment we're going to do with him where we dig into some numbers from the previous Carolina game to see if we can find any trends, whether it be for an individual player, for a unit, or for the whole team. And with that being said, Will, thanks so much for joining us. What's the number you feel like was really illustrative of South Carolina's dominance this past weekend against Charleston Southern? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the biggest thing from Saturday was the fact that, you know, 493 rushing yards is a school record. Um, and you don't get there just by, you know, running untouched into the end zone the whole time. Um, and so, you know, I went in there and PFF was nice enough to um, have the numbers handy. And so of those 493 yards, 400 of them were after contact. Um which, you know, obviously is really good. Um, but especially compared to last season where the South Carolina running backs were awful at doing that. Um, it's really a surprise this season, honestly, um, to kind of see them do that. Because it wasn't just um, Charleston Southern. I mean, 117 of 147 yards um, against North Carolina were after contact, um, which is, you know, kind of a big deal and kind of shows that, you know, the running backs are creating um, – you know, creating big plays out of, you know, medium games and things like that. That's really interesting and, and a real departure from last year because I remember looking at some of the numbers, especially early in the season, and seeing that Carolina's offensive line was was blocking the run as well as anybody in the country, but it was a matter of the backs not, you know, not doing their part, as you said, and as Will Muschamp has said before. Are these numbers reflective of Carolina sort of underperforming in terms of run blocking or are the running backs just doing all the work so the line doesn't have to be responsible for as much? It's it's more the latter. So I um, looked up last year, and last year the offensive line averaged 
2.15 yards before contact. So I guess the running backs in general averaged uh, just over two yards um, per rush uh, before contact, which is about national average, and there's really not a lot of um, ways to go after that. I looked at um, Wisconsin, which is basically considered the best offensive line um, in the country, and South Carolina was ahead by like a hundredth of a yard per carry in, in terms of yards before contact. Um, and then the problem last season is that the the backs were some of the worst in the country at creating yards after contact with just I think just over 3.3 yards per carry. So you add that up, and you you know you're at 5.3 yards per carry. But really, in you know college football, if you're really going to run the ball um, effectively, you want to be up there around you know six yards a carry. Um, so over the course of the season, that's um, you know South Carolina definitely left some yards out there um, from you know from a standpoint with their backs. Um, and then you even think of, you know, a fourth and one or a third and one, which last year it seemed South Carolina could not get um, really at any point. There was, you know, they would run out there on fourth and one and everybody would just groan and go, up. Oh, here we go again. Um, and it, you can't really expect your offensive line to, you know, push forward for five yards there hmm. and just have the bat kind of, you know, nicely go up, you know, throw a wide open hole on fourth and one. You're, you're going to at some point have to get some tough yards. Um, and South Carolina's doing that this year. Um but if you look at the numbers before contact this year, they're down slightly um, to about two yards a carry, which is, you know, basically national national average as far as an offensive line. But um, the yards after contact, they're averaging almost seven yards a carry after contact, um, which is, you know, a little bit inflated by some long runs, um, a little bit inflated by, you know, that includes um, the carry and joiners long run. Um, Saturday, he you know made a guy miss at the line, and the guy got a hand on him. So that's considered contact. Um, but a lot of times, when you see the big yards after contact, it's not necessarily that they're just running through um, you know three or four guys at one time. It's you know they're making guys miss in the hole. They're making sure that the defense doesn't get solid contact on them. And I wonder, you know, if if the yards before contact number is down, obviously that's something they were trying to improve from the North Carolina game to the Charleston Southern game by moving Donnell Stanley back over to center by replacing uh, both of the guards with Jordan Rhodes and Javon Gwynn. I guess Eric Douglas' health going forward is uh, still something of a question mark at this point. Um, but based on how the numbers from North Carolina compared to the numbers from Charleston Southern, uh, does that this guard pairing and then moving Stanley back over to center, does that feel like a sustainable change in something that could get that average back up for Carolina, or was it roughly similar to the production against North Carolina? So the production is North Carolina um, in the first half was great. Um, they had basically all of their yards before contact um, in the first half against North Carolina and North Carolina made some adjustments and um, the offensive line really didn't, you know, make a lot of adjustments. And then also, um, you know, a couple of those interior guys just got, got kind of blown away in that second half. Um, but, and, you know, as far as just pure numbers, um, they averaged two and a half yards of carry before contact against Charleston Southern. Um, so, you know, also really good. Um, but then, you know, the big story is the backs, you know, beyond that, um, you know, having the extra, you know, they averaged 10.8 yards of carry or yards of carry after contact against Charleston Southern. Um, you know, again, a little inflated by some of those longer runs, um, especially, you know, the long Kevin Harris run and Mondinson got hit at the line and broke a tackle. Um, but, you know, overall, it's, it's not as much a, oh, the offensive line is not performing it's just more that the the running backs are kind of stealing the show and um you know performing at a higher level than they really have under Muschamp. 
Well, in terms of stealing the show, Kevin Harris, uh, obviously a lot of headlines, six carries, 147 yards, and that was six carries on seven snaps. There was one where he was in pass blocking and I think graded somewhere in the 60s, like a 60 or 62, something like that, if I remember uh, correctly from reading that this morning on Gamecock Central. Uh, But in terms of his running grade, he was almost near perfect, or uh, he was near perfect. What could Kevin Harris have possibly done other than score a touchdown on every single touch to get an actual perfect rushing grade? Probably just they they look at it as almost uh, you know into their algorithm of okay he had this many yards after contact we we have this many avoided tackles and um, it's one of the highest grades I've ever seen but I, I guess to be perfect um, per se especially because they're doing you know doing some statistics and using some math algorithms in there um, I, w- I would say he'd pretty much have to score a touchdown on every run. Um, and not just score a touchdown, but, you know, be hit at the line and break a couple tackles and then score a touchdown on every run. Um, you know, regardless, he was excellent on Saturday. And um, honestly, I think he, he earned himself some playing time uh, throughout the rest of the season. I think so, too. I mean, again, it's it's hard to say, oh, well, you know, he ran great against Charleston Southern, so he's probably going to be good against Alabama and Florida and Texas A&M. But, I mean, he was breaking tackles that Mon and Rico and Tavian, while they broke him, didn't do it exactly like Harris. And, for a guy with freakish athleticism and can squat 600 pounds, it, it seems like there is there is more room there. Um, but again, it's hard with a small sample size. He has six carries in his career now. Um, but other than that gaudy stat, is there anything in terms of the advanced metrics that make you think that Kevin Harris could maybe take some of those third-team running back snaps away from Mondenson? Um, so, you know, they're very similar backs, um, and they'll use them a you know, in a lot of similar ways. What I did notice is that even in the first half, um, I think one of his snaps, I can't remember if it was the first half or very beginning of the second half, um, he took it at fullback. Um, and that first-team fullback position had been something that last year they rotated Mon Denson in, used Spencer Easton Riddle at some point. Um, and so for him in the second game to already be getting that, you know, they don't go to the eye formation very often. Um, but for him to be getting those those first-team carries, it's, um, you know, definitely something to monitor on the, um, you know, throughout the year, it's kind of interesting. Um, I think, you know, either Chris or Wes mentioned it on their podcast today or uh, on Monday. Um, they said something about, um, you know, he wasn't really a highly recruited guy. Um, but throughout the summer, I mean, we kept hearing, um, you know, we talked to the players, oh, who's standing out on offense? We're, you know, almost fishing for some Ryan Holinsky quotes, you know, hoping they're saying, oh, you know, Joyner's looking great. Um, you know, some of these young receivers, and the name that kept popping up every single time is Kevin Harris. We hate tackling. And he's, you know, we hate, hate having to go up against him in practice, and we just can't wait to see what he's going to do. Um, and we were kind of surprised, and then it, it just kept happening. It was the linebackers, it was the defensive line. Um, and so, you know, it leads me to believe that while, yes, it was Charleston Southern, I mean, he avoided six tackles, which is kind of a combination of broken tackles and, you know, things like jukes and um, – you know, something where he kind of should have been tackled but wasn't. Um, that's something that last year South Carolina's leading um, player in that category was uh, Rico Dowdle, who on 123 carries avoided 19 tackles. Uh, Kevin Harris avoided six in six carries. So that right there is incredibly impressive um, and puts him up there with elite company. I, it's probably not sustainable, um, but he's definitely got some power and some burst that I really didn't expect. Uh, to see this early. 
Well, and just in terms of getting fans' mm-hmm. hopes up, uh, you know, obviously people were excited about Ryan Helinski's debut, but uh, after Kevin Harris' performance, I threw up a poll question. I said, is he going to average 24.5 yards a carry for the rest of the season? And uh, one of the options was no, he's going to creep that all the way up to 30, and that was what won the majority of the vote. So I think fans are expecting Kevin Harris to, you know, basically be an automatic touchdown every time he touches the ball. But, um, you know, in all seriousness, he has been really fun to watch. Uh, Will, what's another number that stood out to you from Saturday, either individually or, you know, as a whole unit? So one thing that um, I found, and one of the things I use for my stats are, um, it's called SEC Stats Cat, um, and I love them. He was, uh, the guy was at a wedding this weekend, so his stats aren't up yet. They'll usually be up, um, you know, by this point. But one of the things I looked at last season is the RPO game. Um, you know, last week they ran the RPO, I think I put it out on Gamecock Central, 13 times and handed it off 11 times. Um, and that's way below national average. It's usually about 50-50 or 60-40 one way or the other. Um, and so, you know, I kind of got to thinking this week of, you know, was Jake Bentley a little bit more cautious in the RPO game or was that a philosophy or something? But, you know, either way, last year he threw one touchdown in an RPO. Um, and Ryan Holinsky's mm-hmm. first touchdown was an RPO. Um, and so that's something that stood out to me is, you know, I didn't get to count exactly while I was, you know, watching the game, but it seemed like, Brian Holinsky was throwing the ball a lot more in the RPO game than I've ever seen Jake Bentley throw it. Um, and that's something actually that Michael Scarnecchio last year in his one start did the same thing, even in a monsoon. He threw the ball about 60% of the time out of the RPO, and that's something that Jake Bentley's just never done. Um, and so I don't know if that's like a difference in philosophy or just, you know, it's very small sample size, but that was something I really thought that was interesting was, um, you know, for an RPO offense, they really don't throw it a lot out of the RPO, and that's something I'm really interested to see going forward if um, Ryan Holinsky, you know, pulls it back a little bit more from the running back and throws it. I think it's something that's kind of driven fan crazy or fans crazy over the last couple of years, and it's really hard to know for sure. But it seemed to me a lot of it, you know, obviously playing Charleston Southern, they ran a pretty vanilla defense and don't have the personnel to really keep up with Carolina anyways, but Holinsky seems so confident in his pre-snap reads and his diagnosis, his diagnoses of different coverages, and he was getting the ball in there quickly. That The touchdown that he threw to Ortre Smith, the ball's, the ball's leaving his hands before Ortre's even passed the defender, um, which, again, I think just speaks to the recognition. Holinsky knew exactly what the coverage was. He knew where Ortre was going to be relative to the defender, so I guess, I guess that gives you a little bit more confidence to pull and throw those RPOs, and it kind of leaves me believing that Jake probably wasn't as quick in terms of the pre-snap, pre-snap diagnosis of what coverage the defense was in, um, or you know even within the play, being able to pull it and get the ball out quickly. So I think that's something that, even though you don't expect Ryan Helensky to go 24 of 30 with two touchdowns every game for the rest of the season, I think that's something that probably points to him being, I guess, more consistently successful throughout the course of the season running McClendon's offense. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that you can see, um, you know, there's certain things you can take away from an FCS game. There are certain things that you can't really take away yet that, you know, we're going to have to wait um, for the season, but it doesn't matter who you play and the ball comes out of Ryan Holinsky's hands quickly. Um, he's got one of the quickest releases I've, I've ever you know, seen from um, a freshman quarterback. I mean, it, it comes out and it comes out with a lot of velocity and, um, you know, it makes, Brian McClendon loves to run that slant pass, um, and he loves to run that slant pass with a swing pass out of it. Um, and we saw that, you know, different defenses, obviously, but we saw that um, Jake Bentley threw the swing pass a lot more than the slant route. I think he threw the slant once, and it was, you know, a couple feet high, and that was a play against North Carolina that Brian Edwards got, um, you know, got lit up pretty good. Um, but if Ryan Holinsky can throw that 
slant pattern with um, with some confidence throughout the season, that's going to be something that you're going to see a lot. And you're going to see that RPO with a little slant behind it or a um, swing pass out of it. You're going to see that a lot. Yeah, I said Ortre Smith on the touchdown. I think I was thinking of the Brian Edwards touchdown. Ortre Smith, I think, had a third down conversion on a similar kind of play where he just kind of ran the slant and looked like they were in uh, cover two with two uh, with split safeties and he just threaded in there. But I think the touchdown was Brian Edwards. But uh, but anyways, yeah, they looked really similar. It almost made them the same play call with uh, you know a couple of different routes around it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. All right, well, Will, this has been terrific. I know a lot of people have a lot of questions about the numbers, so thanks for letting us jump inside your mind. And uh, for those of you that don't read his stuff on Gamecock Central, you should absolutely do that. You should follow him on Twitter, at WHelms21. Will, I hope we can do this uh, every week or as often as we possibly can, because this is really good insight, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, now it's time to go back into the student section. Uh, a, a little bit happier trip there than it was last week after the North Carolina game. Uh, so Josh is first up in terms of Gamecock fans that are actually happy to be here to help celebrate a win. What's up, Josh? How you doing, Pearson? I'm uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, you went to the game on Saturday. Were you in Charlotte? I was at both. Yeah, so I um, I guess I'm your first fan after a Gamecock win this year. Yeah, which is really exciting for you. So um, so having been to both games, obviously the uh, the the home game, the win was. Um, a lot more exciting, but did you and your like? I thought the Charlotte game felt flat, and the Carolina game this past Saturday, I guess, wasn't that exciting because the game was never really close. But I mean, did you enjoy the atmosphere at all of the Charlotte game? Do you like going to a pro stadium, or are you like a total home and home guy? I really don't like going to road games unless it's a true road game. Like the Charlotte game, it was close. It was the first game of the year. I think it's something fun and exciting because it is the first game. But give me on the road at Tennessee over Charlotte any day. So what is your, uh, for a noon game, because I know that's that's another kind of like polarizing topic here. I like noon games because I like brunch-oriented tailgates. Absolutely. Um, I'm guessing you have a different routine for afternoon games versus morning games. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're at a morning game, when you're going to a morning game, what does your morning sort of pregame tailgate routine look like? I mean, I think you have to have the morning spread of something to go along the lines of mosas, probably pregame, maybe some like biscuits, something like that, and then you save up for the good stuff after the game because um, you're still leaving early enough to where you can still get that late lunch, early dinner too. So um, you've got the breakfast before game, pregame, lunch, snacks, post game. So you're pro noon game, it sounds like? Give me a noon game or a three thirty all day. But you don't like the night games. I like the night games, but I like having a night after my afternoon games, you know. Night games, your day's over, the whole day is dedicated to it. Whereas, you know, you can do your tailgating early on a Saturday, go to a three four three thirty, four o'clock game, games over seven thirty, eight o'clock, you still have the night ahead of you. There's some good night games on, you can go catch those too. Hmm. Okay. I think that's a fair and balanced uh that's a nuanced approach to starting game times and you also get the night feel for the latter part of those three of the three thirty game yeah, yeah so you're still under the lights close. yeah and you know start of the game into the game it's still under the lights at nighttime I, I'll, I'll take it that's a really good point thank you um all right so i uh I, i'm cheating on this a little bit we're, we're still going into the student section because you're a south carolina alum you're still relatively young you were at the i game. was in the student section at one point were you really uh not this game no, no. Oh. i used to be in the yeah, student section. you used to be in the student section the student so, section so, alumni so we're dialing it back a little bit mm-hmm. um but um I, I say all that to say I, I know you as a gamecock fan and you are i think you're pretty realistic you don't usually get too high you mm-hmm. don't usually get too low mm-hmm. 
when Carolina lost to North Carolina, I think you acknowledged that it was disappointing, but you weren't someone that was prognosticating Carolina would win two games. So with that being said, how much did Saturday change your opinion about this team and what they can do this year? Nothing. Nothing? None. None. Not even a little bit more optimism? Really, no. Because, I mean, and we talked about this before the game, too. Like, what would make me happy? And I'm like, I really don't know, like, what would make me happy because we win by 40 or Helensky has two touchdowns or DeKaron Joyner has two touchdowns. Like, nothing would really make me like, wow, that was awesome. I mean, I think it was best case scenario on Saturday, but I think you could probably take the Charleston Southern game, the Alabama game, put them together in a bag and throw the bag out because I don't think they're going to be representative of the team this year, probably. Okay, well, most people's optimism and most of the takeaway, I think, for Saturday was the performance of Ryan Helensky. That's Mm -hmm. what everyone was looking forward to going into the game. Uh, I guess... Let's start with this. What were your expectations of Ryan Helensky going into the game? Um, I really feel like they were kind of going to follow the game plan that they ended up doing. A lot of short, quick throws, just kind of get him in the motion of things. Um, and I think, too, just having him involved with the fans and the crowd and the stands was a big part of it, too. I mean, he was the first one out of the tunnel running over to the student section. I like to see that in the quarterback. I, it kind of felt a lot like Jake. His on-field performance felt a little bit different um, in terms of the confidence, I think, that he put in – into the fans, but um, I, I think he did as best as he could as we could have expected. I think the Ryan Helensky effect goes far beyond football. I talked about it a little bit in my opening monologue on this podcast, but and, and I don't. It sounds like you kind of picked up on it as well. Just in the stands, the mm-hmm. the response of the fans to Ryan, and part of it's because it's it's a new shiny toy for Carolina football. The backup quarterback always most popular. But don't you think the rest of the team, and especially the wide receivers, responded to him in a way that we haven't seen them respond to Jake the last couple of years? Even just like seeing Ryan throw a deep ball, you know, and it being not overthrown and it kind of being Ryan alone, I think the quarterbacks, I mean, I'm sorry, the wide receivers probably have a better appreciation for what Ryan's going to bring to the game. Um, even to carry on Joyner after him was like, you know, I knew what Ryan was going to bring to this team. You know, I knew the kind of quarterback that he was. And I think it speaks a lot when I guess now the second string quarterback what used to be third string quarterback is preaching on the backup quarterback. Yeah. So, but with that being said, I've, I've now kind of like walked you into a trap. Are you still uh-huh. telling me that you're not more optimistic about this team than the lackluster group that we saw two weeks ago in Charlotte. I think the unknown is always more exciting. Um, you know, we don't know what we don't know kind of thing. Um, and I guess until we play this upcoming weekend, um, you know, this week's going to be all hunky-dory and everyone's going to be happy. So. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Well, two more quick things and then we'll get out of here. Uh, other fun part of Saturday, mm-hmm. the classic jerseys. Mm-hmm. What you think? Um, indifferent. Really? Yeah. I think oh, no. give me like something like what Oregon does where it's just crazy every week. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I remember the the blackout for Kentucky night game was like the thing, and we get smoked. So I don't. I'm not. I'm not really into that. I thought they were beautiful. I thought they were perfect. It's one of my two favorite jersey uniform combinations ever. It that and then the prime Steve Spurrier era big game garnet. But that in mm-hmm. the in those in those eighty four because I love it. it says Gamecocks on the front. The red helmets look great. I thought everything about it was spectacular, but but I, you were I think unmoved. yeah, I think if you go back and poll a thousand people from the game, ten percent might remember the combination probably Ooh, see, in a week. Disagree. Uh, Colin Taylor at Gamecock Central mm-hmm. ran a poll. I don't remember if it was yesterday or today, and was was asking if what they wore on Saturday should be the new permanent home uniform and. The overwhelming response was yes, but I think, I think the, people felt passionate nah, about it. They're still kind of amped up on it, but go back and ask them in a week what we wore against um, Charleston Southern. Okay, all right, all right. Well, we'll we'll do a poll at the end of the year. Um, all right, last thing: what are your plans for the Bama game? 
my plans for the Bama game. Yeah. I'll be at the game. Okay. Um, that being said, are you going to get there at nine to start tailgating, or are you going to get there closer to noon or no, one? No, 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 no. Um, I'll probably be sitting in traffic for a while. Um, I don't like to make a long event of it leading up to it. Um, I'll get there. We'll probably do some tailgating and then go to the game. I'm there more so, I think, this weekend to probably see, hey, there's there's, there's Tua. Tua. <laughs> yeah. And Jerry Judy and right. Waddle. Right. And well, Ruggs we talked about and... this. Like, oh, man, there's like Tebow. There's Darren McFadden. Those are th- like cool things that you kind of want to see. Um, keep it competitive. Keep it close. Um, that's that's respectable, and, and I'll be happy. All right. Well, Josh, thank you very much for your measured fan perspective on on Saturday's game. And Absolutely. I, I hope Saturday has you more excited for this team than this past Saturday does, although I, I don't disagree with you. That the Saturday didn't mean a whole lot, but right. I think yeah. Talk. To, I mean, I think if you ask me after this Saturday the same questions, the Bama game probably won't mean a whole lot to me either. Other than all right, this is where we are based on one of the best teams in the country. I'm not all right. So uh, maybe we'll check back in with you in like a month after Carolina's played Missouri and Kentucky. Exactly. And, okay. All right. Very good. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Will. Thanks again so much to Will Helms. Again, follow him at WHelms21 on Twitter. Read all of his stuff on Gamecock Central. Thanks so much, Josh. And uh, before we get out of here today, wanted to take a quick spin around a, another entertaining weekend of social media. Going to start with, I guess, a quick personal note. Um, my affection and anticipation for freshman defensive back John Dixon has not gone unnoticed, and I really appreciate that. You guys listening to another Carolina podcast on my local show on 107.5 The Game. So I got to shout out uh, WP and Bo Franklin in particular for knowing that I was going to be very excited after John Dixon recorded his first career interception this past weekend. Bo even inquiring if I needed to be sedated after Dixon's pick. Um, the answer is yes, and don't worry, I was, and I came back, and everything was fine. Uh, also, going to shout out uh, Derek Phillips, a great follow on Twitter, great food reviewer. Y'all should follow him for uh, for all that stuff if you don't already. In the aftermath of South Carolina's awful upset against North Carolina, a lot of people were calling for Will Muschamp's head and saying, oh, bring in Dino Babers. He's done such a great job at Syracuse, which, you know, I applauded the fans for at least having a backup plan. Most people don't when they are calling for a coach's head. Uh, but Derek Phillips clapping back a week later, with a screenshot of the Maryland-Syracuse game early in the third quarter when Maryland was winning 49-13, to said, uh, anybody in Columbia still wants 60-year-old Dino Babers? So, well done there, Derek. Uh, Annalise Bailey for USA Today. She's a USC graduate, uh, former Ringer intern, former ABC Columbia intern. Uh, after the Florida State game, which Florida State absolutely should not have won, Louisiana Monroe had them on the ropes, had them in overtime, missed an extra point Lost it 44-45 to in overtime. And Annalise uh, tweeting out, Pray for Cam Akers back. It hurts from carrying the team all night. Well done. Kev Roche, another man around Twitter. If you don't follow him, you absolutely should. Uh, taking some shots at the college football neutral site game, or rather praising the glorious home-and-home. Home. It seems like a bygone tradition, but says of the LSU-Texas game this past weekend, which was a fantastic game. LSU-Texas was glorious and a true home-and-home not at some random NFL stadium that offers minimum attachment. Bring me your ongoing Austin construction zone. We're all family here, and you don't have to clean up before company. A really beautiful and true sentiment there from Kev. So thanks for that, Kev. Uh, But for me, the winner of this week is Hunter, who pulled off an impressive double, both making fun of Tennessee, which I always support, and also expressing support of an idea that I have been parading around for years now, and that is the implementation of relegation into American sports, especially college football. This is at HunterBadger87, also a good Twitter handle. He says, after Tennessee was upset by BYU to start the season, Owen 2 says, 
Thank you, Tennessee, for proving my point that relegation would be an amazing thing in college football. App State moves up to join SEC. Tennessee rolls down to Sunbelt. Next step, FCS. Hunter, thank you so much. I know I'm not the only person uh, listening to this podcast right now that would be very happy to see Tennessee competing in the FCS. That's all we got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share the podcast with your friends. I'll be back with Wes and Chris on Wednesday for another Carolina podcast and then Friday for the next episode of the Get Cocky Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Y'all have a great week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.